Hello everybody and welcome back to High School Not So Much Musical. You're listening to part 2 of our conversation with Andrew Davis, who is an alternative investor who likes to invest his money into non-traditional assets like comic books and Funko Pops. So Andrew, for our listeners, could you please go quickly into That's your own podcast, the, the name of the podcast, what High you talk about, and what people can look forward to if they look if they listen to your podcast. Yeah, so I run two shows. One of them is called Pop Anime Comics Lounge. The Pop Anime Comics Lounge. And then the other like is the called Conversations in Pop Culture. Um, Pop Anime so Comics Lounge is on iTunes, everywhere you listen to your podcast. And Conversations in Pop Culture is on YouTube under Pop Anime Comics' YouTube channel and on the Pop Anime Comics Facebook page. And it is slowly coming into a podcast um, soon, hopefully by the end of this year with the first you know season up there and then possibly a good chunk of the second season. And I do a lot of interviews with comic creators, professional wrestlers, cosplayers, and voice actors. And that's kind of what I do. And I actually just successfully funded on Kickstarter. So um, I'm very, very excited about that. And it's a really cool moment and uh, super exciting with that. And obviously that's kind of what I do. And, and I'm also very much an alternative investor. And my podcast gives me information on what I should and shouldn't invest in as an alternative investor in comics. So that's kind of my background a little bit. But if you type in conversations in pop culture, you type in pop anime comics, you'll find my podcast and it's free to listen to and it's a blast. And uh, there's a lot of content out there, almost 400 interviews right now. Yeah, that's really great. And we'll make sure that we link all of the, well, you said pop anime comics and conversation in pop culture. So we'll make sure to link those in the description for any listener who wants to try it out. But um, listening out, uh, I mean, going back to our last conversation, we were talking about alternative investments in particular. And because we were just talking about your podcast, which has to do with Funko Pops comics and stuff like that. Could you please talk about your most prized comic that you have right now in your hands how much is it worth would you be willing to let go of it because this kind of takes me back to this youtube video i was watching with logan paul and he was actually trying to buy like this graded uh, charizard card from this um person who collects comic who, who collects pokemon cards so currently right now what is your biggest prized possession and would you sell it and how much would you sell it for yeah, so I'm not interested in selling it. So so that ends that conversation, but I'll tell you what it is, and I'll tell you what it's sort of going for. Um, I have a uh, Spider-Man 700 and a Superior Spider-Man Connecting Covers by Midtown Comics signed by J. Scott Campbell, who did the artwork, and Stan Lee, and they're graded and encapsulated. So the autographs are authenticated on it, and it is encapsulated airtight, which protects it and also says, hey, this is a subjective grade of a 9.8, which is the third highest grade and one of the most standard grades. And it means the book is almost near perfect. Um, so I bought those two sets for about $800 and they're going for anywhere from $1,600 to like $2,400 right now. And sometimes even more on eBay because obviously Stanley is no longer with us. Jay Scott Campbell is still signing, but those two books are extremely rare. Um, just to give that book in perspective, the non-signed books that are graded in a 9.8 and a 9.6 that I just sold a copy of um, sold for about $380. I just sold a copy of those two books that are not signed. So that's kind of where it's at. Those books and 
those two books in particular are just really hard to find. And if I was to sell it, I'm looking at 2200 Easy. Um, starting price is the lowest I'll go on it. But I'm probably going to ask more like 26 Um, So that's kind of a big personal book. And it's just a very difficult book to find. So a lot of money. So, I mean, taking an $800 investment to 22, no, 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 22 at the lowest and probably 26. And the book's just increasing in value. Um, And then I have other books that are just personal books um, that I've pumped a lot of money into. So I have a personal commission book, which means an artist drew on it and it's graded. Um, I put about $275 just for the artwork on it. The grading was another 30. Um, so we're at 305 and then the comic itself was 15. So we're at 320 and to sell that book, I'm looking at at least 500. Um, but again, it's a personal book. So yeah, it's, it's, um, a lot of money's in this. And then, um, as far as pop Funko's, um, most expensive pop Funko I sold was about $180 on a $15 pop Funko. Yeah, that's like crazy that you, like the fact that when you think about it, a comic book is just paper, but it's going for such high prices, just like Pokemon cards and everything like that is just paint and paper. But one thing that I also want to get into, what was one of your worst investments? What's something that you let go of way too early that just skyrocketed in price? Like kind of the I bought Bitcoin in 2009, it fell and I sold it and now it's like worth $30,000 worth for one Bitcoin. So what is like your worst investment so far? I made a Bitcoin mistake too, so, so we should form a club for starters. Um, but, but minus Bitcoin, um, I sold the Captain Rex Pop Funko. Um, I didn't lose money on it, and I sold it for thirty-eight. I bought it for fifteen, so so I made a little bit of money on it. But um, yeah, um, it's like a hundred fifty-dollar, hundred eighty-dollar Pop Funko. Um, I sold a uh, Brooks from One Piece. I sold that one for ninety. And I sold another one for 105. Um, that's a $200 Pop Funko. So I don't think I made bad investments on either of those Pop Funkos, but I definitely sold the Captain Rex a little too early, and I definitely regret it. Um, but you know, it, it happens. And then I sold the Stain um, from My Hero Academia, and I sold one of those for $25. And it's not a horrific loss because I had four of them. And I sold three of them. So I sold one of them for 45, one of them for 25, and I sold my third one for about 58. Um, so, but yeah, so that 25, I sold a little low. And so uh, it happens, but you know, I've taken some hits on things and uh, things happen. So, but you know, you live and learn and you just move forward and you don't worry about it. And you know, I just, I really regret the Captain Rex. Pop Funko is probably one of the things that I regret the most. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can't win them all. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. So one of the things that we were talking about once again last time was more about how you size up your investments compared to the S&P 500. And this takes me back to one of the things that I do in my club called DECA. And it's like a huge club all across the U.S. where it kind of brings together students who are really interested in business. And the kind of four facets are like business management and administration, marketing, hospitality and tourism and finance. And one of the 
games that you can actually play during the beginning of like the school year is something called a stock market game and what they do every year they size you up next to the s p 500 so if your portfolio growth is let's say 17 percent but the s p 500 grows 18 percent then your overall gain is still negative one percent in terms of the game so why do you think that it, it's important that you're sizing up next to the s p 500 for anybody out there because obviously the s p 500 is sort of like a good measure of how the market or like the overall economy is doing so why do you use the s p 500 to size up your investments so i use it and the s p is not the, the only one you can use the russell as well you know, you know that that's perfectly fine i use some in the united states that that's why and i'm primarily investing in the us so i don't invest in overseas companies and so i'm a us based investor and i live in the united states that that's that's why i use it if i lived in the uk i'd probably use the russell just 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 that that's what i would use um but going beyond that and measurement sticks um, the, the reason why is that the S&P represents the it's it's a whole index that is the top 500 stocks. So 500 stocks is going to give me a bunch of data points. And so that's why I use it is that usually that's going to tell me how the economy is doing. That's going to tell me how the market's doing. And when there's 500 positions that I can pull from and 500 data points that are more, that's why it that's the basic of it is that you just need a measure stick. And if you pick 10 stocks to measure your position off of, well, that's still helpful, but that's not going to give you enough data. First, the S&P 500 gives you more than enough data. The Russell gives you data. I could go off the Russell too. There's other measurements. Um, I think like Windshare has, has a measurement technically. That, that I also utilize, which basically tells you how much we're inflated over. And also I use the two and 10 US treasury bonds. That, that's another parameter I use, but primarily if I'm, my, my friend actually just shot me at DM and, and we're gonna be talking after this, which is kind of funny. So, so this is good practice for me, but he's like, hey, I wanna get invested in the stock market. How much money did you start? And what'd you go with? And so, this is what, what I'm going to be talking to him about in a much more candid way and a much more aggressive way because he's a friend of mine, but that's not the point. Um, but it's just that you need a measurement stick and I pick the one that has the most diversification and has proven itself and has so much data associated with it. So one of the things that I saw this week was that like the S&P 500 was basically tanking. It fell for like four days straight. So could you just quickly give your opinion on what you think is going on and what you think the Federal Reserve could do to kind of combat this problem that's been going on for like the past week? Here's what's going on. Um, pretty much interest rates are going to have to rise. And so what, what wound up happening is that people knew that that, that QE was going to end. Interest rates were going to have to rise. And what people thought is that the government was going to sort of sell off their bonds before they raised interest rates or they're going to raise interest rates and then later on sell off their bonds and what's happened is that qe is ending in march the federal reserve is selling off their bonds and dumping their assets and raising interest rates all at the same time which nobody was expecting and so that's a big issue and so a lot of people are going through what is known as a sell-off period and 
what happens with all these companies is that their software that says sell everything off. And so there's been a massive sell-off, which helps to tank the market and it helps to drive down prices because people are saying it's going to fall even further. And that's what's happening. And what's going to happen is that there's going to be an interest rate hike. The Federal Reserve is going to drop some assets, but there's going to be so much pain that at some point they're going to stop the interest rate hikes because they can't continue to do it. And the market's going to dictate what's going to happen. So in the U.S., we're promised three interest rate hikes. I think we're going to get one, maybe two. I don't think we're going to go through three of them. I think in June, July, or August, it's going to stop. The market's going to go in a different direction, and the Federal Reserve is going to have to stop hiking interest rates for a while and turn a 18-month plan into more like a three-and-a-half-year plan to deal with this because inflation is going to become very painful. And that's what I think is going to happen. So honestly, I think that what people should be doing and what I'm doing is I'm looking at the crypto market and I just bought crypto. I've been buying crypto all week. So I'm well aware that it's a good buying opportunity. I personally think though that the next six months, if you're in the market, the best thing you could do if you have really good stocks is just hold on to them, especially if they're paying dividends. So I think I think it's just a scare. And I think that, you know, you don't bet against the U.S. market. And when the market goes down, you buy a bunch of stuff up on the cheap. Yep, I definitely agree with that, because like for right now, for in amateur investors who are trying to get in, I think it's a really good time because like Netflix fell well, like what, 27 percent this week or something crazy like that. So I think that it's a really good time to kind of get in if you really want to or because one of the thing, one of the problems that people are facing is that they just think it's going to keep dropping further and further down. So, they, so, so let, yeah. let's talk about that because here's the thing is that but let's pick a good company and by no means is this an endorsement. So feel free to disagree with me because, because I want, I want to pick a company we both agree on. Is Disney a good company? Yeah. Let's go with Disney. My dad. Right, right, right. So the house of that. mouse, the house of mouse is great. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Kim Possible fan. It's a great show ever. No, I'm joking, everybody. That's a joke. It's a, it's a really bad joke because we all know Lizzie McGuire is the best show ever, but that's not the point. Um, but Disney, Disney, Disney's a good stock. So if you believe that Disney is a great company, who cares what price you buy it at? So this is the whole thing. How I look at investing is that I personally think that Disney's a great company. Right now, I am not investing in Disney because I'm just hoarding up cash for a really, really bad day. And so I've been slowly adding cash and going through some businesses and taking my, my cash flow and just waiting for, for a massively bloodfall day. And I think a few of them are coming more. I think, I think there's going to be about three or four weeks where I'm most likely going to be buying Disney in the next month. But I'm waiting for, for a really bad day. So now... If you buy Disney at 140 or you buy it at 120, if you think they're a great company and it doesn't really matter, and you know that the company should be a $200 stock, who cares if you bought it at a $20 discount or you bought it at 125 or 130? If it's gonna be 200, and it's gonna be 200. Disney's an amazing company, and they got theme parks, they got merch, they got Disney Plus. I mean. Let's not play around here. It's a great company. So sometimes you just have to get in the game because 
or what you have to do is that you have to follow the strategy saying, if I have $10,000, maybe what you do is you buy $2,500 at Disney at whatever price. And then if it goes down 10%, you buy another 25,000. And then it goes down another 10%, you buy another 2,500. And then when it goes down a little bit more or starts rising back up, you buy another, you know, $2,500. And that's how you get in. Because sometimes you just have to get in the game because the theory is that in the study, I believe, is that if you're not in the market, it is beyond difficult to time the market. It is hard to time the market. And so if you're in the market and you're just riding the wave, you will get all the gains. And even though you will take losses, if you weren't in the market, because when people say, I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to get back in the market, a bunch of times they don't get back in the market and they miss all the gains. And so that's how I feel with all this is that maybe people just have to say, look, I should just, if I want to buy Disney and Disney's a great company and they're going to be here forever and they're going to make me a lot of money and they're going to be a $400 stock. I just raised it up a lot more because they're going to be a $400 stock sooner rather than later. You know, in 10 years, what do I care if I paid a little bit over for it because they're a growing company. And so people just need to get in the market sometimes more than, than say, I want to time the market and get all fancy. Yeah. Okay. I think that like perfectly clear, like gives a very clear definition of what high schoolers should be doing now, because when you think about it, they're not going to be having the time to kind of like sit down every day and look through what's going on with the company. You sort of just have to. Now I, I will say this though. Yeah. So in 2020 or, or, or yeah, yeah, 2020 COVID hit all these companies that were restaurants got decimated. They dropped 50%. So a company like Texas Roadhouse, which was playing around at like $84, became a $32 stock. That is a different circumstance because everybody understood that is not normal. What happened in the first 50, COVID hit pretty much, COVID in, in the world hit really in February. It, obviously, it was in December. I'm not trying to do misinformation, but financially, it hit in February. The entire stock market fell like 25% in February. It took about 56 days for it to recover, but that was a artificial deflation. That is different than what is going on right now, where those happen once every 10 to 15 years. That is a different circumstance. So I've bought stock, and I'm not going to say what I bought in February that legitly within 56 to 60 days jumped up 40%. That is a whole different ballgame because you have an external event that is affecting the market in a different way. But that, and you have to understand and you have to evaluate a company at that point. When a company falls, X percentage, I'll give an example, if a war breaks out and all of a sudden, you know, Japan can't ship something to the U.S. because all the shipping lanes are blocked and those companies can't ship items to the U.S., that is an external artificial deflation that might affect companies in Japan for 18 months and their value might drop by 50%, but the actual value of the company didn't change. And that's a different buying opportunity. So that's not what I'm talking about with what's going on right now with the Federal Reserve. But I need to make that crystal clear where, and when you see that, and you're like, this company one day was worth, you know, 
if a company has a five billion dollar shift because of an event that like COVID hit, that's a different investment strategy completely. But those are obvious. Those are crystal clear, obvious that anybody can figure that one out. Yeah, go go what, back, go yeah. go back and look at stocks in February 2020 to May of 2020 or June of 2020. And if you look at that time period and you pick 10 stocks, you will see exactly what I'm talking about, how it was an artificial deflation. It was the entire market got cut by 25 to 50%. And that was just an external force. And that was the buying opportunity of the decade. Undeniably, that was the buying opportunity of the decade. But anybody who had money made money in those 56 days. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I think that like this just gets more into what we were talking about in our last conversation where you're not like you, you can't really give advice about stocks and don't really use this. Use this more as like maybe counseling on what you should be looking for, but just don't take this as stock advice as a whole. But what I really want to do now is just give you like an open forum to kind of just give our listeners any kind of tips that you have for them, anything from your experience, what they have to do, just sort of like open forum for you to say whatever you want as we're winding down. Oh, sweet. So, you know, you know, when, when, when you're investing, the, the best thing that you can do is do nothing and learn as much as you possibly can. So what I like to do is that I recommend people read a lot of articles, you know, Investatopia, I want to say, has, you know, a lot of free stuff out there. Utilize them, read about stuff. And if you're uncertain about something, don't put your money in it. Because the best and the worst thing you can do. So, so the worst thing you can do is just throw money into something and invest blindly if you don't understand it. So if I don't understand a company, I do not invest in them. And let's say that company does goes from you know $5 a share to $50 a share. It could go the opposite way too. And if I don't understand what they do, then you know obviously that, that's a problem because that's how you lose money. But if you didn't invest, but you still had your money, you didn't lose anything. You didn't gain anything. So that's one of the first things that I recommend is that if you have X amount of money and you don't know what to do, just leave it in cash because you're not going to gain anything, but you're not going to lose anything. And that's just as good. And you can take as much time as you need to actually learn so that when you do learn and you do understand the risk of you losing money will be reduced. So that's the first and foremost thing when you're investing. And that's arguably the best advice Mark Cuban has given it. And a lot of other people have given it. And that's what, what, what I recommend is that if you're uncertain, don't do anything with money, start learning and just start reading, watch videos, you know, uh, Phil town, he teaches rule one investing, you know, he has a lot of free videos on YouTube. So watch those. There's a lot of other people who give really good advice and give you know, positioning and explain things that are very helpful and you can get a very free basic education and there's newsletters. There's also companies like Seeking Alpha that send you emails every morning. I think there's morning coffee and there's all these free newsletters that just give you an idea of what the market's doing. And I would just read as much as you can. Now, furthermore, as an investor, 
there's certain books that I recommend people read, like Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors. And Tim Ferriss has a bunch of books, and there's other books that people have done similar to Tim Ferriss. And those books aren't going to teach you how to invest, but they're going to give you a lot of advice from different people, and they're going to expose you to different thought patterns. Because that's something as an investor you need to understand is that I like to deal with a lot of people who think differently than I do. I am in a very fortunate position that my podcast allows me to interact with 150 to 200 people every single year from all over the world. So I deal with people at different economic levels and different work levels in different stages of their life with things that I can't do. I can't draw. So when I'm speaking to an artist, they're changing the way I perceive and I think, and they're influencing me. And that allows me to see a different position, a different thought process. And people, because of that, my processes have changed where people have convinced me on crypto and on NFTs a little bit, and I'm not all the way there, but that took a lot of people to explain things to me and make convincing arguments over and over and over again on podcasts and what they're doing with comics. And because I speak to so many people, it has very much been very helpful in that regard. So that's something that I recommend is that when you read a book like Tim Ferriss's book, it's going to expose you to that and that's going to make you a better investor. Um, and then the third thing I recommend to people who want to do this is that, you know, is let's say you say, look, you know, is I want a hard knocks trial and error education. Those educations are very helpful. I've had plenty of them. You know, the reason why I'm doing well right now as an investor is I've made plenty of mistakes. You know, and I've done things wrong, but I didn't lose a tremendous amount of money. I think the most money I lost technically in an investment is about $700 over the course of my entire comic career, where it's just been a complete bloodbath and it was bad and I didn't know what I was doing, but that's over, you know, at this point, 11 years. So, and I made about $700 worth of mistakes um, where I didn't make any money or I didn't break even. And that it was a negative return and I made a lot more and I made that money back. So feel free to make mistakes on $20, $30, and don't sweat it because, but also understand your mistake. Understand why that mistake happened. Because if you lose $1,000 in your 20s, you will not lose $10,000 in your 30s and you will not lose $100,000 in your 40s, especially when you understand why you made those mistakes. And even when you do make mistakes in your 30s and 40s, understand that too and actually analyze it and pay really, really close attention to it because every mistake I have made has actually made me more money in the long term. And so that's something that I think is very helpful that people need to understand because there's nothing wrong with mistakes. Mistakes are good and it's when you don't learn from your mistakes that that it becomes a problem. And then finally, I would just like to say, you know, obviously I teach alternative investing. I have it on my Kickstarter. It's a tier, you know, it's 50 bucks. So if you actually want to learn it and you want to learn it in a more concise way, I have hour long consultation meetings. I could explain theories. I can explain what I do as far as moving assets around and exits. I'm also planning to teach the entire class on this, which is hopefully going to be about 22 hours. And I'm working on that slowly. I am on my second PowerPoint. And the first PowerPoint slide in that thing is about an hour and a half. So it's a big class. Um, hopefully, I'm going to get it up in June, July fully. And that's something I'm looking forward to. But if you want to pledge to my Kickstarter, you got 50 bucks and you actually want to learn 
I'm more than happy to sit down. It says an hour long conversation, but it's really more like an hour and a half to two hours. And in about an hour and a half to two hours, I could get your brain thinking differently about alternative investing. And you could ask me any questions you want. You could have a conversation and all sorts of stuff in that realm. So that's something that is very, very cool in that regard. So that's what I got going on. And uh, yeah, it's uh, super exciting. And I just want to say, hey, thank you for uh, having me on. And my Twitter is at Pop Anime Comics. And so if anybody has any um, questions about alternative investing, you can actually hit me up on Facebook at Pop Anime Comics. You can hit me up on Twitter or you can hit me up anywhere else pretty much where you can find me. You can bother me on Instagram and I'm more than happy to at least point you in the right direction. So you can check that out. So yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew, for all of your time and all of like the advice that you gave to our listeners. I'll make sure that we link everything in the description, including your Kickstarter campaign and all your social media so that people can reach out to you if they have any questions. Um, thank you so much to our listeners and thank you so much, Andrew, once again. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much A Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.